So we're going to get into our series this morning. We're uh, talking about the 11th hour. Now we're almost to the end of this series. I, I, I said the early service this morning, I, I did not intend, intentionally, I did not put a book into them because I really just want to be obedient to where God wants to take us in this series. I want people to know that Jesus said, when you see these things happening, let it stir you up. I, I truly believe the church has lost the motivation of the second coming of Christ. It is a motivator that, in fact, the Bible says if you have this hope in you, you pur- it purifies yourself. Uh, there, there's something about understanding that Jesus Christ could come at any moment that, that motivate us, motivates us to live a holy and righteous life and then to do the work that God called us to do. And that's why I'm preaching it. I, I'm preaching it because, uh, listen, if you're a young person here today and you're, last week I talked about the tribulation, what's going to be taking place during the tribulation, that sounds like something out of Hollywood, Right? Well, the truth of the matter is, it is the truth. God has foretold what's going to take place. He's given us his word. He's put it in there for us to understand that when you see these things, uh, the birth pains and the beginning of these things, when you see it taking place, he said, get excited because your redemption is near. And, And I really believe that we are that generation that will see the coming of the Lord. And I'm excited about that. I, I told the early service, I'd love for him to come back today. I mean, I'd be okay with that. Uh, and, 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 and unfortunately, there are many in the church, uh, not this church, but there are many in the church, Christendom today, that have lost the enthusiasm of the return of the Lord. And I want to renew that. It is the hope of the church. I'm not hoping for this next election cycle to put a different Congress or different... Uh, listen, my hope's not in Washington. My hope's not in Austin. My hope's not in City Hall. My hope is in Him. And I'm not looking for a better world. I'm looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. That's the important part of it. So, uh, amen. That's why we're doing this. I, I'd much rather have messages that make people want to get up and dan- dance and run around a little bit. But this is something we need to hear. Uh, and so we're going to get right into it. Today we're talking about the Antichrist, okay? So we did the, the, the tribulation last week. Today we're talking about the Antichrist. Paul writing in Second, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning verse number one, says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. Now, notice what he says here. He said, Don't be so soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as from us. And now, now, here's what's going on. So if you remember in chapter, uh, in First Thessalonians, the first letter to the church of Thessalonica, there were a lot of people there that were confused about what happens when someone dies that is a believer. So when Jesus ascended, remember, we talked about this. When Jesus ascended, there were two men, two angels, that said, why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus, not another one, this same Jesus that you see ascending in the clouds will come in like manner. And so from that time forward, the the, the church believed in the imminent return of Jesus. They believed that they were the generation that would see the return of Christ. And so what happened was in Thessalonica, people were dying their loved ones were dying, and they were confused about, well, where's this coming? I thought he was coming. What happens to those people when they die in the faith? So Paul says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in Jesus. Of course, that's where he talks about the Lord shall, uh, with a shout, the, uh, the, uh, the trump of God, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ rise. He let them know that that's exactly what's going to take place now He's talking about something a little bit different because now someone has come in to the church and started trying to, to, to discourage them that they were actually living in the day of the Lord. Now, when they say day of the Lord, 
We talked about that last week. That's the tribulation period. It is a time of wrath and punishment. And so they were trying to convince them that they were already living in the day of the Lord. So Paul says, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as the day of, here's what he says, as as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. Everybody say that day. That day will not come unless a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God, called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, last week, again, I talked about the tribulation. The tribulation uh, period of time is a time of God's punishment on unregenerate man. It is a time of God's wrath for the rejection of Christ, And it is a time of purging of the nation of Israel. Uh, Again, think about it. I talked about some of the things that that will take place in the seven-year tribulation period. Uh, Nature will revolt. And and all of hell will be unleashed upon the earth. Remember, the tribulation is so destructive, uh, uh, and and I tried to give you a little glimpse of what it's going to be like. The tribulation is so destructive that nearly half of all mankind will be killed during the tribulation. It is so intently evil that Jesus said, if the days were not shortened, no one would remain alive. Again, that's how, that's how dark and difficult it's going to be during the tribulation. When, uh, again, I'm not in fear of it because I won't be here. I'm a, I'm a pre-tribber, and we'll talk about just a minute for that. Uh, it's during the tribulation, though, that we're introduced to a man who has many names in the Bible. In fact, in Daniel, he is called the prince who is to come, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, a despicable man, a worthless shepherd, according to Zechariah, the one who brings destruction, the lawless one, the evil man, and the beast, according to Revelation chapter 13. The apostle Paul says that when the day of the Lord comes, uh, or that the day of the Lord will not come until the man of sin or the son of perdition, which is hell, the son of hell, is, uh, has appeared. And of course, I'm talking about the Antichrist. Uh, now, let me just clarify one thing. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. I mean, see that today. I mean, the spirit of the Antichrist is working right now over time in our world, but there is an individual known as the Antichrist, and that's who we're talking about this morning. The Antichrist, let me give you a little bit of, uh, a l- a little bit of information about him. He's the exact opposite of Jesus Christ, okay? So take everything Jesus is and flip it in the exact opposite. That's the Antichrist. Jesus is the son of God. The Antichrist is the son of perdition or the son of hell. Jesus came to save. The Antichrist comes to destroy. Christ came to serve and to give his life a ransom. The Antichrist comes to rule. Christ will set up his kingdom and rule by the word and by spirit. The Antichrist will rule by sword and by spear. Christ comes to bring love and peace. The Antichrist brings hate and war. Jesus sets people free. The Antichrist enslaves people to sin. So again, the exact opposite, the polar opposite. He will be the very incarnation of evil, cleverly disguised as a dynamic, charismatic, and visionary leader. And it's important we understand that. Somebody asked me recently, Pastor, do you believe the Antichrist is alive on the earth, on, on earth right now? Well, if I believe in the imminent return of Christ, that he could come at any moment, then I would have to believe that he's alive on earth somewhere. 
Now, we won't know who he is. I'm always amazed at people that write books about the end time thing, about eschatology and the end times, because they want to name names. And, and, and they'll go back and they'll come up with some kind of bizarre formula of how they figured out who it was. And I've, you know, we, I've heard, I've read names of like Adolf Hitler. I mean, he certainly fits the bill, right? I mean, he was about as antichrist as you could possibly be. But it wasn't, he wasn't the antichrist. I've heard Stalin, uh, I've heard JFK, even Walter Cronkite made the list. Can you imagine that? Obama, the Bushes, Trump. I mean, there have been all kinds of people on that list. Listen, I don't believe we'll know. I mean, if the Bible wanted to know, us to know who he was, he would have, I think he would have given us insight to see who he was I don't, or who he is. We won't know who he is. But he will be a cleverly disguised individual, full of charisma. He'll be a dynamic speaker. He'll be a visionary leader. He will astound the world with his solutions to human problems. How many know the world's got problems today? Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of an understatement of the year right there. We've got problems on every hand. We, I mean, you think about it. We live in the 21st century right now. You have in your possession a phone, a device, that has more computing power than the, 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 all, the, the sum total of what put a man on the moon in the 60s. I mean, isn't that, I mean that's incredible. That's incredible. With all the advancements of technology and all the advancements in medical science and all of these things, we still have people dying, children dying today of starvation. We still have people in developing third world nations, that uh, children that are malnourished and are, 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 don't have the, the right uh, uh, vitamins to take. Just simple vitamins that help ward off specific diseases. We've got the resurgence of diseases that in America have been eradicated because of our technology and medical advancements that in third world countries decimating their populations. I mean, there are problems everywhere. You've got rivers that are drying up. You've got, you've got uh, pestilence. Again, all these things. He's going to come on the scene at the, uh, at the right time with this charisma about him, and he's going to have answers for these problems. He, and he's going to rise to world domination by declaring himself to be a man of peace. He will accomplish what many have been trying to do since, really since uh, the beginning of time, but, but essentially in our time, since 1948, when, when he will bring peace to the Middle East. I mean, if you turn on the news right now, one of the talking points is about what's going on in the Middle East. When I was in the military, uh, every, every warfare scenario that we were involved in had to do with a communistic bloc fighting against the freedom of the West. Every scenario, every... Uh, deployment I w- went on outside of some in Central America, all of those things had to do with a, with a communistic regime. And in the 1989, when I was living in Germany, the wall came down. I was there when it fell, and God just kind of reminded me, Mike, the, the end times, it's not about Europe. Europe is not the geopolitical center of the world. The Middle East is. And all of a sudden, the, fi- the, sh- the, sh- the focus shifted to Israel. And so listen to all the talk and the hoopla. The UN, I said it last week, the UN is passing more resolutions against Israel right now than any other nation on the planet because there's a resurgence. So this man's going to come and he's going to be full of charisma and dynamo and he's going he's to have the masses follow him, hanging on his every, every word. He's going to broker peace in the Middle East. But here's the thing, halfway through the tribulation, he's going to break his peace treaty with Israel and all of a sudden his true character is going to be exposed. He will, he will control the global economy. He will force people to receive a mark in their hand or on their forehead. You and I know it as the mark of the beast. With that mark, 
they can buy or sell. Without the mark, they cannot buy or sell anything. To use a biblical phrase, there will be many, many people, the majority of people alive on that day will receive the mark of the beast. And the Bible says, according to what the scripture says, they will believe a lie and be damned. If that person takes the mark, that is, that is it. Their opportunity for redemption is over. Again, those who do not receive the mark will be hunted down. They'll be killed. Again, I told you last week, part of the tribulation, it will be a day of unprecedented evangelism. They'll, God will use 144,000. He'll use the two witnesses. He'll use angels, according to Revelation 14, that will go through proclaiming the gospel. People will be saved, but they will pay for it with their lives. So let's talk about the Antichrist. He's going to appear on the scene as a unifier of the world. Only later will he reveal his true intent. So let's look at what does he do, okay? Or first of all, let's look at who he is. Number one, who is he? Well, Daniel had a lot to say about this. Daniel chapter 11, beginning verse 36. Here's what he writes. He said, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. Now I want you to hear that again. What has been determined by whom? Yes. Must take place. Okay? So in other words, even though this man is full of, he's, he's empowered by Satan himself, God sets the limits on what he will be allowed to do. And for the duration of it. I don't know about you, but that gives me great confidence. That when the enemy comes, I, I, again, I said this in early service, but sometimes we are fearful of the, of, of the spirit of the age or the spirit of the world or Satan himself. But listen to me. He, his bark is worse than his bite. He can huff, he can puff, but God sets the boundaries on what he's allowed to do. Even in the tribulation, he will only be able to do. He said, My, whatever's been determined must take place. He will show, he goes on, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god, but he will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor the god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mighty of, mightiest fortresses with the help of foreign, a foreign god, and he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and distribute land at a price. Now, so, so what does that say about him? Well, gives us a few insights into what this man is going to be like. Number one, he's going to be arrogant and self-willed. I mean, you want to talk about a narcissist. This guy will be the biggest. How many ever met a narcissist? Anybody? Li- I'm not even going to say that. I was going to say, anybody live with one? No, I'm not, I'm not going there. We have counseling this afternoon. Here's the thing. He never stops bragging about himself. Don't you just braggarts get on your last nerve? They do me. I can't stand it. You know, I did this, I do this. I, you know, without, without, without the heartbeat in your chest, you couldn't do anything, right? So, but he's going to be the boaster, okay? Daniel 7 makes the point emphatically when he calls him the little horn who makes big boasts. I mean, the Antichrist is going to be the, the, the ultimate egomaniac. He's going to be a blasphemer. He will be deceptive, ruthless, utterly void of integrity. There's a word that we don't hear much about in our society today, integrity. Maybe you th- now you see why maybe, listen, your character and your integrity says a lot about your relationship with him, and I'll leave it at that. He'll be, here's another thing about him. He, he is outspoken in his public opposition to God. Listen to some of the speeches that are being made by the political elites, not just in our country, but around the world. 
already you see a shift. They're blaming religion for the world's ills. They're saying if there was no God and there was no religion that we wouldn't have wars and we wouldn't have famine and we wouldn't have all of it. It's already being talked about. And it's no wonder that out of that sentiment comes this Antichrist who opposes everything about God. He will be very successful initially. His reign, again, is limited by God. That's why in verse 36 he says, a time of wrath. It's a time of wrath. He rejects his own spiritual heritage. Verse 37 says he has no regard for the God of his fathers. Again, whatever spiritual background he comes from, he's going to reject it outright and openly blaspheme God. He will oppose all organized religion. He will set himself up as a God to be worshipped. Again, when he, built, when he makes that treaty, he's going to allow Israel to start, they're going to resume their sacrifices in the temple. And for three and a half years, they're going to be able to worship as they had always worshipped. But in three and a half years, he does something that you and I probably have heard the term before called the abomination of desolation. He literally goes in there and sets himself up to be God and he expects their worship. He stops the sacrifices. He demands worship. Now, when he does that, if there's one thing Israel learned in the Old Testament is this. God can't stand idolatry. They went through one captivity after another because of idolatry. So when this dude sets himself up to be God, the Bible says immediately they recognize the false nature of this guy. And man, all hell literally from that point on is unleashed for the last three and a half years. Another thing Daniel said, he has no, no regard for the desire of women. Again, this could mean, and, and again, certainly it's not told in Scripture, but I mean, it, it could mean that, he, that he's, the Antichrist is homosexual. It could very well mean that. And, and, and again, it would kind of lend to the militant homosexual movement, the LGBTQ community that we see today that is blatantly in your face. You know, used to be, you know, several years ago when they were debating the same-sex marriage, it was all about just getting people to recognize that they had the right, quote-unquote, to get married, now it's full acceptance, and if you don't fully accept and endorse what they do, they're in your face and they want to be violent against you. Yeah. Is it any wonder that maybe, maybe that's what he's talking about here, that he comes, maybe that's the, the, what's behind the modern gay rights movement and the militant nature of how it's turning with the transgenderism and all the things today. The Antichrist will be empowered to be a practitioner of moral perversion. He worships military might. Okay, his power will come from Satan. Again, that explains in verse 38, the God unknown to his fathers. He will deceive the world with the help of Satan. Again, that's what, who he is. He will conquer many nations and he will reward many who follow him. And for a short period of time, he will seem to be the savior that all the world has been looking forward to. But it is short-lived because now let's look at what he does. Remember, this man comes on the scene as a man of peace. One of the things I told you last week was after the tribulation. Can you imagine that, half, that right now maybe two, uh, Spencer, I think it's the 2.1, 2.2 billion Christians on the earth right now, according to missiologists. Uh, that's a lot of people. Still, we're behind the curve, right? But that's a lot of people. So can you imagine 2.2 billion people disappearing off the earth just like that? Uh, do you really believe in the secret coming of Jesus? Well, it's not a secret to me and those who are looking right? Not a secret. I know about it. He told me. But when we're gone, somebody's got to step up and explain stuff. And again, I believe a perfect opportunity for him to come up, start offering solutions to the vacancies that will be. Uh, and so he's going to come on the scene as a man of peace, but he really is 
a man of war. Now, Revelation 6 gives us an insight. How many of ever read Re- Revelation 6? This is where you find this, the, the, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They weren't wrestlers, okay? Okay, I, I had a cousin who was a wrestler back years ago, and, and there was a group called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're not wrestlers. They're not NWA stars or WWF stars or whatever they were. They're not. They are actual, this is, this is a literal Revelation 6 thing. So, so he comes on the scene as a man, of, a man of peace. Revelation 6, we find the four horsemen, each rider representing a different facet of the Antichrist during the tribulation. The Antichrist will ride across the, the pages of human history on a white horse. The white horse is symbolic of peace, a conqueror who comes in peace. Revelation 6 describes this rider on the white horse as having a bow but no arrows. What does it mean? It means that he will come with this facade of being one of peace when he's truly a man of war. He will come, again, white is symbolic of conquest, and he comes riding on the pages of human history with the bow with no arrows, but he'll appear peaceful, but he's not. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25 says that by peace shall he destroy many. By peace shall he destroy many. Why? Because they're deluded into believing that he's the Savior. Again, while the Antichrist deceives the world into believing that he's a man of peace, God releases a second horse and the rider uh, upon this red horse. And John says in chapter 6, verse 4, that power was given to him to take peace from the earth. What does that mean? It means war. It means war breaks out across the earth. His true nature is revealed. He's a violent man. While he's boasting of human Uh, of of solutions to humanity's problems God releases the third horse the third horse and his rider is a black horse and the Bible says the rider who rode on that black horse had a pair of scales in his hand that has to do with the economy I mean so think about it if peace is taken from the earth and war uh, resumes or war breaks out what happens the economies of the world collapse financial meltdown across the planet in fact, the Bible says the economy is going to be hit with such a, such a devastating blow that men would literally work for a day to earn enough money to buy a loaf of bread. Talk about inflation. I remember when I was stationed in Europe, one of my buddies took a weekend and he went down to, I believe it was Italy. I think he went to Italy. And uh, back then, they, of course, they changed the currency over there. But when they were there, it, I, I believe it was the Italian lira. It's been a long time, but I believe it was the Italian lira. And the exchange rate was ridiculous. I mean, he, he, he exchanged like, uh, like $500 and he got a million lira. The only time he, I said, man, the only time you ever be a millionaire in your life, you got a million lira. Well, the problem was a Big Mac cost you about 200,000 lira. I mean, just, it just blows your mind. I mean, you can't think in those astronomical numbers. But again, when the rider of the black horse comes, because peace is gone and wars all over the world, he, the, the economies collapse and people work a whole day to earn just enough money. I've seen this in Cuba. I've been in Cuba five times when I've been there. I've seen them go and stand in line to be able to go and get their daily rations. That's coming. Again, War is going to ravage crops, and starvation will be a real threat to humanity. And as all of this is going on, John sees the fourth horse, and the fourth horse is the, is the pale horse. And this rider has a name. Only one that does. This rider has a name. His name is Death. And the Bible says, and hell followed him. And it goes on and explains that one-fourth, 25% of the earth, was given over to them to kill with the sword, with hunger and death, and with the beast of the earth. 
Again, this is this man who comes on the scene with waxing eloquent, with great solutions to human problems, and yet inside he's rotten to the core, full of dead men's bones, vipers, den of brood of vipers is what Jesus said. His reign will be marked by war and destruction. And again, even though he comes as a man of peace, once he secures that, that dominion over the earth, war breaks out. Listen, there will be nations that will oppose him, okay? There will be nations that will oppose him. So nations will start uh, gathering together to go and unseat this man who has assumed all this responsibility. In fact, Daniel uh, tells us that there will be nations that will start to align. I want you to think about what you see in the news right now. Some of the nations, now when Daniel gives geography, geography in the Bible always centers around Jerusalem. So Daniel talks about the kingdoms of the south or the king of the south. What's south of Jerusalem? Well, that's present-day Saudi Arabia, Egypt, North African tribes or Northern Africa right now. Do you know that some of the greatest and fertile uh, Christian roots are in North Africa? I know that's kind of hard to imagine, but please, when, 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 when uh, the church was dispersed, North Africa was a hotbed of Christianity. They think they were all, always Islam and Muslim, but they're not. Their ancestry is, is rooted in Christianity. And so these nations, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and, and, uh, and, and the northern African nations are going to unite together to come against this man who has set himself up to be God. And toward the end of the tribulation, he hears a rumor. The Bible says he hears a rumor from the east. So now you have just the southern nations, you have rumor of the eastern nations. You have nations like the Asian nations, and they come. And the Bible says they, they filled an army of 200 million soldiers. These military cam, uh, campaigns will culminate in the valley of Megiddo there in Israel as they take on this madman from hell. You've got the armies of the east and the south moving against the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 14 describes the blood of this battle flowing up to a horse's bridle, four or five feet deep. If you were with us in Israel, and again, we're going to Israel in, in, in February. If you want to go, please stop by the hub, sign up. I need to get a head count uh, of who's going to go. But we stood, one of the places that you'll go in this trip is you'll actually go uh, to, uh, to a cliff, a mountain that looks out over the valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, the valley of Armageddon. And you can stand there and you can look this way and you can look this way and you can look across. And it is a natural, it is a natural battlefield. That, and I, when I was there a couple years ago, I didn't go the first time I was there, but when I was there uh, a couple years ago, I stood on that mountain and I'm looking down and I'm remembering the story of Revelation 14. And I'm thinking, man, this is where it's going to happen, right here in front of me. And it was a very surreal moment to think about that. Again, at that place, the mightiest armies of the earth will converge in Israel. So we know who he is. We know what he does. So how will it end? How will it end? There are a lot of people today that seem to think, and, and, and their lifestyle tends to make me believe they think this, that there is a future battle to decide who rules the universe. Can, can I tell you, that is not even for debate. There, there was never a question about who rules the universe. There's not a battle that will ensue sometime in the future to determine who's going to win, good or evil. It's already been decided. It's already been decided. That's why Daniel said that which was determined must be fulfilled. 
God's already decided the outcome. He's already told us exactly how it's going to unfold. So how will it end? Well, Daniel eleven forty five. 45. I love what he says here. He said, he will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's, he's going to, pitch, he's going to set, up, set up his headquarters there in Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Now think about that. As the Antichrist prepares to go to war, he sets up again his military headquarters near Jerusalem, the beautiful holy mountain, somewhere there between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And that final battle will take place again in the Valley of Jezreel in Megiddo. The, the Hebrew term is Mountain of Megiddo or Har Megiddo, which you and I know is Armageddon. That's where it's going to take place. Here's the thing. As evil and destructive as this man was, his end will be sudden swift and unexpected there are passages in daniel that kind of give us the idea of just how quickly again this man sets himself up and he comes he's the he's the antichrist everything christ was he's the opposite and and you would think somebody ruthless like that and powerful like that empowered by satan himself would be a formidable enemy but daniel gives us a clue of how quickly his destruction comes in fact daniel 2 says uh, he describes it like the rock that hits a statue if you've read daniel 2 you know what i'm talking about that big old statue that Nebuchadnezzar said the rock that came and smashed those bronze and clay feet. That's how fast it will be. How about this one? Daniel 7 says it will be like the court that passes judgment. Anybody ever gone to court to be with somebody? Let me just rephrase it like that. <laughs> hey, we believe, in, we believe in prison ministry. If you're going to do time, call me and I'll set you up. We can get you working. No, I'm just kidding. But, so here's what happens. If you, go, if, you, if you watch, if you ever watch Matlock, okay, <laughs> everybody's watching Matt. So, so whenever the judge renders verdict, what do they do? The, 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 uh, the defendant, the guilty one, he doesn't say, well, can I go out to Chili's with my family and then I'll report to prison? No. Doesn't do that. If you're standing there in court, you stand up, all rise, he comes, do you have a verdict? Yeah, I do. Guilty. When he smacks that hammer down, that gavel, and says, okay, guilty, and renders verdict, they immediately, the bailiff and the sheriff and or the, whoever the officers are, immediately slap you in handcuffs, and they lead you out of the court. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You go straight to jail. That's what he's saying. It, it, with, this judgment's going to come on the Antichrist like a court that passes judgment. Again, the end comes, Daniel 8, without human power not something that the nations come up with some spectacular weapon to defeat this man of hell. No, no, no human power. Daniel 9 says the end, that is decreed. Decreed, it's settled, it's done. Daniel seven eleven adds that the little horn, after the little horn, who's the Antichrist, is judged, what happens to him? He's cast into the blazing fires of hell. The Apostle Paul in our text this morning, I didn't read down far enough, but in verse number 8, he describes it like this. He said, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Listen, if you've ever wondered if you're on the winning side, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, we win. We win. And listen, I, and, and I know that life can be bad. How many's ever had a bad life, had bad things happen in life? <laughs> sure. Here's the good news: if you're a believer in Jesus, this is as bad as it will ever be. I, I'm not minimizing how bad it is. 
I'm just trying to remind you that what awaits us, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I say stay the course, hang in there, because you know what? When the time is determined, that's it. It's over. I mean, don't you picture this. Millions and millions of, of soldiers gathered in the, in the Middle East, gathered in the Valley of Jezreel, and they have all the latest technology as far as their weaponry, high-tech weaponry. They have more than enough firepower to destroy the earth several times over. And they fully intend on using and exhausting their arsenal of weapons against one another and against the beast. They gather there and as they, get, as they are engaged in warfare, something captures their eye. The peripheral vision sees something coming out of the sky. And for a moment they stop their warfare as combatants of each other, and they turn their attention to what they see in the sky. Again, these unregenerate men cease fighting each other, and they look, and they see Jesus on this white horse. As he begins to descend from heaven with the armies of heaven, which is us, as the armies of heaven follow, as Jesus comes riding on that horse, the Bible says they, 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 they cease their fighting, and they turn their weaponry toward heaven, towards the sky, Orders given to fire away. I want you to picture this in your mind. And as they begin to pull the trigger or launch those missiles or lasers or whatever the technology is at that time, when they shoot, begin to shoot, they miss their mark as Jesus literally just opens his mouth and with the breath of his mouth, he blows them all away. It's over just like that. Amen. We're on the winning side, church. See, the battle's over before it starts. Men will run, and they will try to find death, and they'll try to find a place to hide, but they can't because a great day of judgment has come, and no one can escape. I read it last week, but I'll read it to you again. John gives us a picture. He takes us in time forward to see this event, and here's what he writes in Revelation 19. He said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, that's us, were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. But that's not all. He goes on in verse number 19. And he said, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who had performed miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of these and worshipped his image. The two of them, listen, here's what happens. Were thrown alive into the fiery lake burning of sulfur. That's it. That's it. Put a period there. End the story. <laughs> listen, we're on the winning side. One of the reasons that we talk about the end time stuff, and again, many churches don't ever talk about it anymore. This is our blessed hope. This is what, listen, I'm not looking for a better America. I'm not looking for a better world. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come back and I'll receive you unto myself. We sit here in this world sometimes and all the misery that comes and we wish Jesus would do something. We would, how many's ever prayed in a desperate moment? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Help me, Jesus. You say, why doesn't he do something? He already did. He already did when he hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. 
That sealed it right there. It sealed it right there. There's no future battle for the, for the, the creation of God, God's creation. There's no future battle. In an instant, with the breath of his mouth, the enemy is subdued and defeated. I mean, honestly, if you, when you read the tribulation, I'm closing, guys, come on back. This is kind of anticlimactic. I mean, if you're, if, if you're writing a movie narrative, a script, and you bring on a guy who has all this power of the Antichrist during the tribulation, I mean, he's, he's, he's bringing in nations, he's, he's uh, securing his dominion over them, he has power that's evil, that does miraculous things. I mean, he's a formidable guy. And I mean, if you're writing a script, man, you've got to have this end time battle that, man, hangs in the balance that's teetering back and forth. It could be the good guy, it could be the bad guy, it could be the good guy, the bad guy. I mean, that's what you want to write. That's not this story. This story, this is guy's bad and he's evil and he's rotten to the core. But when heaven says that's enough, <laughs> Jesus just opens his mouth <laughs> and it's over. It's not teetering between good and evil, <laughs> back and forth. Just once, just one moment. I mean, that's, after all this ha- havoc, in a moment, in an instant, Jesus puts an end to it. And then what does he do? He sets up his thousand-year reign, the millennial reign of Christ, where the Bible says the ox and the lamb and the tigers and the bears, oh my, and all these others, are gonna, they're going to lay down together. There'll be peace. They'll be taking their weapons, their, their massive weapons of war, beating them into farming equipment so they can take care of the world's population. That's what it's going to be like. Say, Pastor, again, the Antichrist is a figure that will be revealed at the end when the church is not even here. And there will be people who say, well, you know what? Why should I even hear about it? Why do I need to know about it? Well, number one, he put it in the book. <laughs> Amen? I mean, that's probably a good reason because he put it in the book. But the second thing is this. Here's the first. And I, I, this, this, is, this is probably the priority right here. Make sure you're ready to meet Jesus. The bottom line is that if you don't want to see this become a reality in your life, it will be a reality. We just won't be here. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you don't have to worry about any of this. Oh, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to suffer. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, for unto you is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to, we hate this word, <laughs> but to suffer for his sake. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to happen. But this won't happen. If you're a believer in Christ, what did he tell Nicodemus? He said, you must be born again. See, that's the thing. He's got to be Lord of your life. So the reason we talk about this is this is going to happen. You can go back in scripture and you can see all the prophecies that talked about his first coming. I told you last week he came, the first time he came, wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was God's expression of compassion and love for humanity. Second time he ain't coming like that. He's coming as judge and as the righteous king. You can either bow and make him Lord and king now, or you can do it in the future where there's no, help, there's no hope. So the first thing is the reason we need to know end time stuff is are you ready to meet Jesus? If you're not ready, you need to get ready. Again, this is not scare, scare tactic. This is just a reality check. None of us have a promise of tomorrow. Hebrews 9.27 says, uh, it's appointed unto man, how many times? Once to die and then the judgment. You can validate that scripture just by picking up the obituary every single day. 
their names in the obituary of people whose time came. I've heard people say, oh, but they were so young. When he says it's time, it's time. So you need to be ready to meet Jesus. And the only way to do that is confess him as Lord of your life. The second thing is this. The church has to awaken. And I'm not talking this church, but I'm talking the body of Christ in, 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 in general. The church has to awaken from its stupor. We've got more churches today interested in becoming the biggest church of town than they are building the kingdom of God. And that's got to stop. We've got churches that, I dare, I don't want to, I'm going to say it anyway. We celebrate transfer growth. And listen, I understand there are times that God moves people to different places. But we want to celebrate that rather than celebrate new believers, converts, right? That's got to stop. See, one of the reasons that the end times, it's a motivator to us to be salt and to be light in a different world. Why do we do all the outreaches that we do here? It's because, you know what? I'm not going to change the world inside the church. I'll change the world outside. That's, that's the truth right there. When I was a kid growing up, people would stop by the church, and they still do randomly. I, I'm not, but the majority of people today, you've got to go out where they are because they don't believe what we believe. They don't see any rationale in what we believe. I'm saying it needs to motivate us. If Jesus is coming soon, then every one of us need to be busy about the kingdom's business, reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility, church, to reach the lost people by bringing them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many of us here today, as I close, know somebody that's not ready to meet Jesus? Listen, we all have in our circle of influence, we have family members, we have colleagues at work, we have neighbors, people, acquaintances that we know that are not ready. And people say, Pastor, how do, how do I reach them? Do I go up and tell them they better get right with Jesus or a locust the size of a horse is going to come out of hell and sting them and they're going to want to die? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you telling them that. <laughs> they might call a short bus after you. <laughs> I wouldn't tell. But here's the, here's the thing. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. I've taught on this on Wednesday night because it's important. It is a spiritual thing. And without divine illumination, none of us can understand this right here. None of us. So if you have someone, again, we should be salt and be light. How many understand light is very present and visible? If you were to remove the light here, there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. That's it. If you were to turn out the lights here, you would... Uh, you would remove the light and darkness would fill this, play, this void. We're to be light in the darkness and we're to be salt in society. But if you have somebody specific in mind that's not a believer, here's what you do. You have to pray for them. And I would, I would encourage you to do this, even not even related to the message today. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Write their name down in your devotion or wherever you pray, whatever list or whatever you do. And you pray, God, today I'm praying for John. I pray that the eyes of his understanding would be enlightened so that he might understand your truth and believe. Because without the illumination of the Spirit, they will not believe. You can try to convince them and tell them till the cows come home. But unless there's a divine illumination, they will not get it. God, may the eyes of their understanding be enlightened so that they might see your truth and believe it. 
And then let's go and do the work that Jesus called us to do. Don't you stand with me this morning. Again, we're going to wrap this up maybe one more week, maybe two. I'm not really sure, but we're coming to an end. And again, the whole, I, I hope that you're, gather, you're gaining something out of these messages. These are very important messages. I told the early service, I, I would much rather preach things that, that just pumped us up, man. You know those times where you feel like you got the, the devil on the run? Aren't those good sermons? We like those. But this is necessary. Because there's a lot of things in our periphery that are distracting the church from the main thing. Too many wanted to build their kingdom when we should be building his kingdom. And that's what I want to do is I want to build his kingdom. See, when I stand before him, I don't want to hear him. I, I don't want to be able to say, well, you know, I had the biggest church in town. I did this. I, 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 want to, I just want to hear him say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the longing of my heart. As I close this morning, maybe online this morning, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. But listen to me. If you're not ready to meet Jesus, hear the words of Hear the words of Christ. You must be born again. There's no easy way around it. I know today there are a lot of people turned off with the church. And, and for some, there's, it's a legitimate reason. But just because the church hurt you and just, just because the church misrepresented him doesn't mean that there's no truth to what they've been saying. You, have, you must be born again. And it's a simple process. You just come to Christ recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior and say, here I am. When you do that, you become part of His family. And when that trumpet sounds, we go up. So this morning, as they sing, maybe heaven has not been on your mind lately. Maybe it's not been a, maybe it's not been a reality to you. Maybe it's been one of those things that you... You, you know you're going to heaven. You kind of put it off in the back burner. But you got more comfortable in this world. My prayer has been, God, discomfort us. Discomfort us. This is not home. I don't want to be digging into the world. I want to, I want to hold loosely to the things of this world so that I can be focused on what the king has asked us to do. As they sing this morning, if you're here today, and say, you know what, Pastor? I, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to, I just, I, I want to sell out to Him. Listen, don't go, up, don't go up there like you do the swimming pool and dab your toe in it and say, okay, you know, maybe this feels right. Little, don't be dabbing around with, with, with faith. Just jump in. All in. I did that in the barracks in San Antonio, Texas in 1985. Grew up in church, third generation Assembly of God. Grandfather pastor church I grew up in. Thought I had enough religion for everybody. Ran away from home when I was 17, junior in high school. But God's arm was not short that he could not reach me. And in that barracks in San Antonio, Texas, he reached down and said, Hey, dude, I didn't call you for this. And you know what? I've not regretted a day in my life. So while they sing this morning, if you're here, say, You know what, Pastor? I want God to burn in me that hope of heaven. Or maybe you're like this this morning. Maybe you have a need, okay? I always want to do an altar call every service because you know what? If you're here, you're part of our family. This is Bethel family. I love you with all of my heart. And if you're struggling, you don't have to do it by yourself. If you need prayer, want somebody to stand with you in prayer, while they sing, I'm just going to ask you to come down in any one of those areas. 
And as they come, I need the prayer team. I want you to come, and I want you to lay hands on them and pray. Just be a support and encouragement. Go ahead and sing just for a moment. If you're here and need any prayer in any one of those areas, please come. More than riches, more than power, I need Jesus more than anything. Every minute, every hour, help me, Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say. Amen. You need prayer. Come on, friend. Prayer for anything. Come on, we'll pray with you.
church every question you have he's the answer the only answer listen I love you this morning thank you for just being you thank you for loving us loving him loving our community until Jesus comes somebody asked me pastor when are we going to slow down I said I guess when the trumpet sounds we'll probably stop then right until he does until, he, until, he, until the trumpet doesn't sound, until we we got work to do, church. Again, don't forget tonight. Don't forget, if you're new in our church family, stop by the hub, sign up. We'd love for you to be part of our lunch on the 13th. Father, today I love you so much, and I thank you. I know lunch is prepared for our youth event that they're doing. Bless them in their time together. The speeds, Lord, thank you for what they do and are here today have honored us. We bless them. Youth of North Texas, we bless them. Father, help us to never lose sight and focus on what we're here for. We're not here building our kingdom. We're here building yours. So, Lord, help us to keep the perspective that you went away to prepare a place and you're coming back for us. Let that be our motivator to live righteous and holy lives on a daily basis. Let it be a motivator for us here at Bethel to keep doing the work that you've called us to do, to to do the work of the evangelist, to serve and to work in our community, to spread the gospel, to shine the light and to be salt. 
I ask you, Lord, to help us to pray for our unsaved loved ones on a daily basis and to be that light that shines for them. Now go with us, I pray. Give us a wonderful day. Lord, give us a wonderful week. Should you tarry, may we wake up in the morning and with a spring in our step and a song in our heart and put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. May we walk with the awareness that we could be the answer to someone's prayer tomorrow. I love and I bless each one here today. Thank you for all that you do. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all pray and everyone said amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much. My only answer I need you Jesus Oh I need you Jesus You are the answer My only answer
Can't control.